we so easily adopt the Disneyland cultural narrative of what love is. We act like like falling in love is some like enchanted the old Disneyland. Yeah. Not right. the modern Disneyland. <laughs> this enchanted yeah. kingdom experience. And I love to ask people when they say like, oh I love her, I want to ask her to, to marry me. I'll I'll ask like why do you love her? And I think it's interesting because if someone says I love her because she makes me happy. Mm. I love her because she's easy to talk to. I love her because she likes what I like. I love the way she treats me. If you listen closely, ultimately what they're saying is, I love me. Yeah. Right? What we need to love about somebody and what we want them to love about us is we want to be able to look at someone, this is gospel love, and say, I see what God is doing in you, and I want to be there for that. That is gospel love. love. While we're on that subject, why do people often say, it behooves me? That's King James. That's why. Do bees have hooves? I just about wrecked your joke. Seriously, do you guys ever like say a word and then think that was that? That's weird. The more you think of the word, you lose its sense of reality. I've the word the. Don't do it <laughs> the. Seriously. Seriously. There's people in homes that have gone crazy because they've stayed with one word and can't get out of their head, I'm My sure. employer's like that. <laughs> words start sounding weird when you say them over and over. Oh, weird. Weird really sounds bizarre, really weird. Bizarre, bizarre, even bizarre, weird. bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, words are funny things. You guys have favorite words, by the way? Any words that really like stick out to you that you hamburger love to, to me is <laughs> oh, right, that picture you showed us before we started the podcast Mm-mm. do you feel like a double double right now i don't look like one I, either. Don't know. <laughs> I do every now and then when i'm reading i'll come across a new word that i absolutely love and i'll intentionally try to find a way to include in a conversation so like one of the most recent one is palaver to palaver is like to have meaningless but valuable conversation hmm that like, sounds like, like every day of my life. How do you guys spell it? P A L A V E R. Palaver. Oh, the north. To palaver. Quixotic. Have we ever had that here on the show? It's one of my favorite words. We've palavered. Like a palaver. <laughs> We're doing it right now, I think. Quixotic. Not one easy. What is quixotic? Quixotic is like when someone does something really crazy and eccentric, or they are that way. Mm. His quixotic idea to cover the entire Empire State Building with latex. Wow. Mine um, is Romododecahedron. Stop. It's a 20-sided figure. And I, <laughs> I can't <laughs> really seem to work? feed it. In, it's, yeah, I can't seem to feed it into a conversation. Yeah. I really feel like a Romododecahedron today. <laughs> can't even say it right, Comfort. Yeah. So, guys, today on the podcast, we're talking about another word that has become really an endangered word. Ray, you keep showing us that burger. That's a close-up. And we did a podcast recently on gluttony. Shame on us. Another word that has really become an endangered word in one sense, definitely dangers that swirl around it, and that is the word marriage. Marriage is in big trouble, guys. And today we want to talk about, for those that aren't married... Thank what? you for that qualifier. Because <laughs> it was going to be really uncomfortable <laughs> of me talking about my future wife. I'm on a Bible prophecy where it says, and I think in Timothy commanding to abstain from marriage and from foods. It yeah. mentions that, and then we see that, seeing that happening. Yeah, it's insane when you see what's happening with marriage, both from the perspective of how there's so many people that just aren't getting married anymore. Why get married, hmm. right? And on the flip side, others that are dissolving their marriages 
very, very quickly and for frivolous and ridiculous and obviously unbiblical reasons. And others that are calling a union a marriage when it's not. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's very, very important there. And so marriage is in big trouble. And we know there are a lot of people that listen to the podcast that aren't married or that are married but have kids and their kids are looking for guidance and direction and input on, hey, what do I look for in a spouse? And so we thought it would be important to do a podcast on that. And you did. I did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I did. And you guys agree with me. On you might get fired. Yeah. And so, guys, all of us around this table, by God's grace, are married. How many years now, Ray? Sue and I have been married 102 years, 51 each. Do you know oh, the word you marriage etymology it. comes from <laughs> entering into wedlock? You are locked Ooh. into it, which is very interesting. Like a mortgage? Yeah, like death grip. <laughs> <laughs> death grip. <laughs> mortgage. Yeah. So, Ray, 51 years. Yes. Mark? 22. Child. 22. Just kids. Oscar? 10, as my wife would say, the 10 best years of her life. (laughs) 10. Yeah, and we're about to hit 26. Three of the best years of Rachel's life. Yeah. Poor Rachel. Yeah, especially during the sleep talking and walking phases. Oh, we're going on that. I'm going on 11. What about the elephant nipple cover? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's context for that. Yes, please explain this. Yeah, oh boy. So Rachel and I first get married. I discover one night, and maybe I had it, but I think being married and sharing, you know, a room and a bed with someone is what triggered it in me. But Rachel begs to differ. She thinks I've always had it. But we're newlyweds. We're in our new apartment. Rachel woke up at night, in the middle of the night, she couldn't sleep. She went, she's reading her Bible in the living room. And all of a sudden, I wake up, I run out to the living room with this earth. She's like, what are you doing? And this was like the first intensity she'd experienced from me. I mean, my eyes bloodshot red, you know, the size of basketballs. What are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just reading my Bible. And I go, why would you speak Russian? Because <laughs> Rachel's Russian. You didn't know it, right? And so I'm trying to read my, and she's like, I'm reading my Bible. So then I turn back around and I start gagging. I said, going, ah, ah. And she's about this point, go, what in the world? And I go, I swallowed, I swallowed an elephant's nipple cover. <laughs> she goes, what? And I had this dream that there was an elephant. And you know how a bottle has a, like that plastic cover that goes on top of the nipple? I just had a dream that there was an elephant that had a nipple cover and I swallowed it. And I was choking to death. And this is in the She's book. She's an award. Yeah. I'm one of the dumbest things people have done. Yeah, Ray put it in this book. But I've experienced what Rachel experienced that night. Do you remember? Oh, in Israel. In Israel. Yeah. Dan Arnold, our wonderful friend, said to me, why don't we go and preach in Galilee? He wasn't, when he said we, he was meaning you, me. <laughs> so I woke you up and you, with your bloodshot eyes. Well, we just arrived in Israel. I was dead. Yeah. I and jet lagged, traveling 20 something hours. So we're going to preach in Galilee. Easy. Wake up. And you said, Dan, Dan, go away. <laughs> That's right. I said, no, no. no it, was, it was just it was frightening. So I went no. alone and preached in Galilee. So my poor wife, she's had to go through that. But yeah, 20. How did we get onto that? 26 years. And Austin said the best of her life. And then. Three years or, I don't know. Anyway, that's how it goes. Anyway, I never regret saying yes. Oh, thank you, right? No, I mean to my wife. <laughs> I thought you meant to me becoming your son-in-law. Yeah, 51 years. Did I say yes? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no, 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 there's been a misunderstanding. <laughs> 
26, 23. Almost 11. Almost 11 and 26. So almost. So we've been married. God has blessed us all with godly wives. And <laughs> I just got one. <laughs> I've got multiple. And what a joy, you know, when you think about the beauty of being in a marriage that's rooted and, and grounded in the Lord. But marriage is in trouble. Well, not ours. Not ours, thank God. But Hebrews 13, 4, you know, we often focus on the part that says, and the bed is undefiled, but says marriage is honorable mm. among all. And the institution of marriage was not man's idea. It was God's idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the family is the nucleus of society, and it begins with a husband and wife. So let's start with the Genesis, right? What do we look for in a future spouse, number one? The opposite sex. Yeah, I was just going to say. Right? I mean, because we here we have to have our, to say that, right? Our and we Supreme do. Court has attempted to redefine marriage, and you can do whatever you want, but it's already been defined once. Yeah. Right? And because it's already been defined by the only one who has the ability and the authority to define, because he's the ultimate source of authority, he says it's a man and a woman. So our society can call it whatever it wants and do whatever they want to do, but ultimately, listen, marriage is between a man and a woman. That's it. That's what it'll always be. Yeah, I can see somebody with a checklist going, okay, check. I got that. <laughs> but, but listen, you'd be surprised, right? I mean, how many people, how many friends and people, acquaintances and people that we've kind of bumped into that are now claiming to be still Christians but are into a relationship mm-hmm. with of the same sex gender? Yeah, and when you start to redefine God's word, reinterpret scripture on the basis of our current cultural phenomenons or trends or even after some time norms, that's when you get into that danger. That's when you go back and go, well, no, it must have meant this. No, Paul was talking about those that were really abusing children sexually versus homosexuality, period, Mm -hmm. you know? And you just begin to go down that road. And before you know it, you're in a place where you're justifying just about everything. We have a really good podcast episode on this exact same thing, which is on transgenderism with Owen Strahan. Strongly recommend you listening to that one. But bringing it back to more practically, what, what do you guys say if you're, you know, we have all got kids, everyone but Ray has unmarried children. So practically speaking, your kid sits down and goes, what? Dad, what should I look for in a spouse? Number one, do they love the Lord? Hmm. Not are they religious? Do they claim to be a Christian? Do they attend church with you? Are they part of the college group that you attend? But do they legitimately love the Lord? I heard a rapper once say, Yo, yo. (laughs) I went after the Lord and I, I ran as fast as I could. And then when it came time to get married, I looked around to see who kept up with me in my pace. Hmm. And I married the woman closest to me. What's that? I didn't rhyme. <laughs> That's I was expecting it to rhyme. Yeah. So do they love the Lord, right? Because we are not to be unequally yoked. And I think that it is possible to be unequally yoked even with another Christian because they don't have the same fervor, you know, maybe that you do. Now, if you're already married, it's too late, right? You're, you're married. But one of my f- absolute favorite things to do, remember, Scripture says, beauty is vain, charm is deceit, but a man or a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. I love looking at recent photos of women and men that have lost it, that were just, you know, sex symbols of their days back in the, you know, 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. The before and after shots. My my wife and I, we were looking at a photo of Maria Shriver, who used to be married to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it was like, look what she looked like when she was younger. 
Or Elizabeth Taylor. A lot of our, maybe our listeners won't know who Elizabeth Taylor was, but she was very attractive when she was younger. But as she got, got older, right, she would put her lipstick on and it would just be more on her cheeks and on her teeth than it was on her lips. Beauty is vain. So people need to recognize that there'll always be the 2023 model or 24 model. Yeah. And we saw that with uh, Elizabeth Hurley and Hugh Grant, right? Elizabeth Hurley was a supermodel. And here we have Hugh Grant, who was an actor, married her, and then cheated on her with a prostitute that looked homeless. So left his wife to cheat with this woman. So we have to go deeper than skin. We must go all the way down to, does this person love Christ? Are they going to push me towards the Lord? Because you'll always find somebody more attractive than you. And if you, or your spouse, and if you are enamored with your spouse and only your spouse, you'll try to treat everybody else as a hyena, as easy says. Uh, I think just, I want to parlay what you're saying in regards to beauty. I think there's also, it's important for us to understand where we're getting our definition of beauty from. Because you just said, like, if we find people more attractive than our wives, than the person we married, I think playing the comparison game in general is very yeah. dangerous. And when you borrow the idea of beauty from the culture, you're going to do that. I love, my wife has had three children and I think my wife is more beautiful than she ever has been. And I'm not saying that just to say that. I mean that because, yeah, my wife doesn't have a 25-year-old body anymore, but she has the body that bore my children. Amen. And I love that. I think it is beautiful and I long for it. So again, it's like, where do you find your definition of beauty for your wife yeah. or husband? Amen. You know, Ray, Mark mentioned Hugh Grant. You remember too, Tiger Woods, he was married to a supermodel as well went out, cheated on her. You see that kind of thing happening. I'd love you to speak to that. This is grass isn't the only thing that's greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah. You know, I've always said the best time for a man and a woman to meet each other is at a youth camp the second day at breakfast. Hmm. First night of the youth camp, everyone stays up till three o'clock in the morning talking. They exhaust themselves. The second night, they sleep real heavy, and when you get up in the morning, you're seeing exactly what you get. Bad <laughs> breath and bulgy eyes and hair oh, all over good. the place. And, but you, you choose by looks, and when the petals fall off the rose, you're going to be stuck with a stalk. So you want, <laughs> <laughs> you want character in a person. You know, I yeah. think <clears throat> this is up there. Fear the Lord, number one. Secondly, sense of humor. Oh, 100%. My wife and I talk about that all the time. Yeah, I've got a friend who... Uh, had a beautiful girlfriend that he really loved and she had no sense of humor. And the guy that I'm speaking of had a, just a crazy yeah. insane sense of humor and it just killed him. It's so neat. I mean, my greatest joy is to make Sue laugh. I'm not exaggerating. I absolutely love it. I, I'm an amateur at her laughing at something crazy I've done. And I do crazy things every day and she laughs a lot. I just, I used to show off as a child and it's never left me when it comes to my wife. Mm. And that's what makes a marriage rich and fun. And you can laugh when things are going wrong and it holds you. It's a strength. It's the joy of the Lord, just strength and it manifests in humor. We say that all the time to people we do premarital counseling for is how, how valuable humor is in a marriage. And it is utterly practical, but so important. I think that it can be an act of grace because not only making our spouses laugh, but even like for Kelly and I, we'll do something that would, would rub the other person the wrong way and where other people might get frustrated or upset. We laugh at our idiosyncrasies because uh -huh. we realize that we're not perfect and we didn't expect that we married perfect people. You know? 
Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Please don't fire <laughs> me. That's why. <laughs> but we, we know we didn't marry perfect human beings, and we can get frustrated or angry, or we can laugh at those small little moments that are otherwise insignificant. Yeah. You know, when our kids were young, I would ask them, what do you want in a husband or wife? I remember asking my daughter Summer one time, I said, what do you want in a husband? And she said, Papa, I just want a man who will love Jesus more than he loves me. And I was like, oh, it was one of those moments where you're like, Lord, they do listen. (laughs) You know, it's like something did get through. And God blessed her with that man. Matthias is such a godly, godly man. Yeah, six foot four, way too tall for Ray. (laughs) Sinfully tall. We're trying to get the Ray short gene out of the family little by little. (laughs) Speaking of that, little by little. (laughs) little. (laughs) (laughs) How important is it for the parent to prepare their kids to be that spouse, to be that person who is really, I mean, I want my daughters to be able to make a meal, right? Currently, they're only able to make reservations. I want them to be able to be there, you know, for their future spouse and and my boys, you know, as well. How important is that, Easy? Massively important. You know, in fact, Mark, I was just recently talking to your son, Noah, and and the gal he's about to marry. And And why are you doing that, by the way? (laughs) I'm doing their marriage counseling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They're getting married. Thank you and them for asking me to do that. But we were talking back last night and and I was just telling them how blessed they both are to come from homes where they have godly parents that have raised them in the Lord and that have modeled for them what a godly marriage should look like. Cause it's that's true. Huge. Mark's wife is incredibly yeah, godly. One, at least there's one in that marriage that's godly, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's one thing to give our kids instruction and to tell them this is what the Bible says, but there's nothing more powerful than them seeing that lived out in our lives. And you know, and it's sad because not everyone has that, right? Not everyone's grown up with that, but God's grace is sufficient. But there is that benefit to those that have, that have had, and Ray always says this, not just parents that have professed Christ, but that aren't hypocrites, you know, which means, doesn't mean they don't ever fail, but even when they do, they make it right. They apologize, they, you know. So it's huge in guiding our children, you know, in that regard. I think another aspect all around is that we have to realize that we so easily adopt the Disneyland cultural narrative of what love is. We act like like falling in love is some like enchanted the old Disneyland. Well not right. the modern Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> this enchanted yeah. kingdom experience. And I love to ask people when they say like, oh I love her, I want to ask her to, to marry me, I'll I'll ask like why do you love her? And I think it's interesting because if someone says, I love her because she makes me happy. Mm. I love her because she's easy to talk to. I love her because she likes what I like. I love the way she treats me. If you listen closely, ultimately what they're saying is, I love me, Yeah. right? What we need to love about somebody and what we want them to love about us is we want to be able to look at someone, this is gospel love, and say, I see what God is doing in you, and I want to be there for that. That is gospel love. love. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's beautiful. And, you know, we've done a podcast in the past on marriage, of Mm -hmm. course, but in this one, we're kind of trying to break it down and hone in on what is a godly husband? What is a godly wife? What do you look for? And one of the things that I often remind couples of, and we talked about this with Noah and Jessica last night, Mark, and that is that, you know, expectations, as I've always said, expectations are the foundation for disappointment or delight. Our favorite marriage book, mine and Rachel's, it's the title has changed recently to marriage, but it was called, What Did You Expect? 
I didn't redeeming. even change the title. Yeah, he changed it now. What did you expect? And he added a couple chapters. It's by Paul Tripp. It's what did you book. expect? Redeeming the Realities of Marriage. And I love that title. And when Rachel and I read it, it was just so encouraging because it was like, oh, yes, we relate to that. But when you expect that the person you marry is going to be this perfect shining angel and you're never going to have any issues or struggles, you're going to be disappointed right? because you're marrying a sinner. And like you're saying, Oscar, if our perspective is what can I get from them for me and not what can I do to serve and to lay my life down for them, Mm -hmm. then we're going to be greatly disappointed. And I often will tell couples when I do their wedding, you know, that they're expecting the celebrity life. I mean, they're getting the celebrity life for a day, right? Dressed up in designer, expensive clothes, they're wixed around in in, in an expensive car by a chauffeur. People are there cheering them on, standing for them. Paparazzi are falling them, snapping pictures, taking videos. And then the night ends and the music fades, the applause are gone, the flowers are hung up to dry, the tuxedos return to the shop after paying $100,000 to rent it. The wedding dress is packed away, right? All that stuff is, and then you're left with the vows you made Hmm. and the fact you're married to someone who's going to fail you again and again and again and who needs God's grace the way that you do. And so understanding those realities is huge. I mean, I love what you said, Ray, about the next morning. Yeah, I, and also you've provoked my thought because when I got married, it was just so great being the center of attention and everyone taking <laughs> pictures of you. And everyone's just looking at you and it's just wonderful, wonderful. And you show up at the next wedding and people don't want to know you. <laughs> it's us again. It, yeah. They're all looking at some like, other yeah, couple that's up there. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Just get to the back of Who, the crowd. Was it Winston Churchill? There was someone that said, they wanted to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. Or something. <laughs> that sounds powerful. But yeah, I mean, again, it's most people on their wedding day, that's the euphoric moment. Who gets married planning, oh, I can't wait to get divorced, right? People don't <laughs> typically think it's like, this is great, we're together forever. I mean, you it's know, some, it's changing now. People are signing prenups and stuff like that. That's what I was like going to say. They plan to get divorced by signing yeah. a prenup, which is just so crazy. Yeah. I think another huge thing when it comes to marriage and what we advise is realize you're giving up your rights mm. when, you, when you're married. You're no longer your own. Yeah. And if you can work that out in your marriage, your marriage will be sweet. If you don't, if you want to hang on to your own selfishness, you're going to clash. Yeah. That's right. It's a process of dying to self. One of the things Paul Tripp talks about in the book is that people get into marriage expecting it to be like a, a, a resort, a vacation spot. And it's really a battlefield. You go into a <laughs> battlefield in a bathrobe and slippers and a remote control, you're going to be sorely disappointed, you know? And yeah. also, when you get married, realizing you're marrying relatives as well as your wife. Yeah, exactly. So it's good to meet the relatives. That's right. You're marrying the whole family. Yes. That's hugely important. So when it comes to, let's begin with wife, what should a person who wants to get married look for in a wife? And we've cited Proverbs eighteen twenty two. I think, already. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. First of all, it's a blessing. I was leading this Bible study and uh, my father-in-law was there for this Bible study and we were talking about looking for a wife and I went to quote that and I said, I misquoted though, I go, anybody who desires a wife desires a good time. And I said, thing, good thing. My father-in-law was dying laughing. He's oh, like, I funny. see how it is. Oscar. That's funny. You yeah. know, First Timothy 3.11, it says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Mm. You know, so a woman 
not a malicious talker. She's temperate and she's trustworthy. Mm. Amen. Yeah, Titus touches on that too. Says that, that the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And I want to touch on that, you know, in terms of, and think of that word in our day and age, obedient, what? You know, mm-hmm. and when I'm doing weddings and I get to the part about a wife submitting to her husband, you could just see the daggers, man. You see the one that people start whispering, you know, and it's, yeah, it's not culturally popular today, mm-hmm. but a man looking for a woman wants a woman, first of all, who loves and fears God and fears him enough to obey his word, no matter what the culture or what people are pressing her to do. I love Proverbs 31, 28 to 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And, you know, that's probably the verse I quote most to Rachel, because that's really what she is to me. I mean, she, we're about to celebrate 26 years. We just went away for a little getaway. And I just look at my wife at times and I really... I'll tear up when I consider her character. You know, she has a Instagram and Facebook page called Joyful Mothers. I think she has over 20,000 followers now on, on Instagram. And the wisdom that is on there, I mean, I'll come across the, the, the quotes she puts on there all the time. I mean, these are things she comes up with from her own heart and from God's word. And I'm just like, I can't believe I get to be married to this woman. She definitely, I mean, people joke about that. She definitely got the raw end of the deal for sure. The only way I can explain it was this had to have been an arranged marriage. Totally. <laughs> totally no, um, arranged. What happened is that Rachel came into my prayer room once late at night and said, Dad, when I get married, I want to marry a man that open-air preaches. And I remember thinking, you have just cut down the field. <laughs> and she got him. Wow, you know she got her heart's desire—a godly man. So uh, God has been gracious, and and, and you and you and know Rachel's got to write a book, by the way. I yeah, think she's just got the. Yeah, we've talked about that, and she she will once you know, once she gets into that season where she can. She's still homeschooling now, but you know it's amazing when you've been married so long and you see how the Lord sovereignly brought you together and made you compatible opposites attract and and you see that a lot of times most most couples i know they are different but you see how that god harmonizes that and but what needs to be there is what we've cited already the next verse after what i just read proverbs thirty-one thirty: charm is deceitful and beauty is passing but a woman who fears the lord she shall be praised hey listener Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. A woman who fears God. Yeah. One of the aspects of harmonizing 
because you're right, to become one and God is bringing you together and you become, in one way you become one instantly, but another way you continue to become one to the glory of God through your marriage. And an aspect of harmonizing, which sounds beautiful, but it can also be rough, right? So you have like a verse like iron sharpening iron. That's essentially, there's no greater aspect of a sanctifying tool in your marriage than your spouse. Yeah, amen. Because there's no way around the bad breath, as you put it earlier, Ray. And so that iron sharpening iron is is rough. It's jagged. It's metal against metal. But when it's done humbly, then transformation for the glory of God happens, and he uses your marriage to do that. And so one of the aspects is just recognizing in your spouse a willingness to be reshaped by God. Yeah. Amen. The pastor that counseled Sue and I, I remember exactly what he said. He said, uh, communicate. That's the key to what marriage. Do you mean? Communicate. Just, just talk it out. Don't talk it out. Just what talk it out. I'm trying to calm with. No, communicate. <laughs> talk with each other. And, and it's so necessary for a man because when we have problems, we tend to go into a cave. I do. I don't want to talk it out. I don't want to give detail. If I got a problem, it's really worrying me. Sue knows exactly. As soon as I step in the door, what's wrong? Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, I want to go in my cave and just sit there and brood and try and think of a, and answer this problem. But it's so important for the man to move out of his natural inclination not to talk about it and just communicate with your wife and Ray, listen. You're, you're not being honest. No, I am. You I'm trying to listen. You don't go to your cave. You go to your chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sitting in the chicken I coop on a stool. And I sit and brood. <laughs> I'm envisioning Ray sitting on a little stool in there. And with with the chick- chickens with everywhere? A, with a chicken on his head. <laughs> As he's thinking. Laying an egg. So we want women that are surrendered to the Lord, right? If they're submissive to him, that they're going to submit to the husband you know that's that's the leadership role. yeah that's right and Forever. It, a woman who prizes god's word above all else yeah you're not going to have an issue there in the general sense in that yeah of course she's gonna and we all struggle our flesh kicks in like i talked about but that's one of the the most beautiful things about rachel is she fears the lord Never once have I left town and had a concern, oh, is my wife going to do something wrong or yeah, right. is she going to be unfaithful to me? It's the, the heart of her husband safely trusts in right. her. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life, mm. you know, and it's just wonderful. And, you know, one of the things that I observed the, the day that I met Rachel when they came to the church is how she interacted with Ray. I watched how she was respectful, how the both of them were laughing together. I'm like, this is a healthy relationship. This woman, she was actually laughing at him though. (laughs) Probably (laughs) this woman respects her father. And oftentimes we'll end up treating our husband or wife, the way that we treat those closest to us. I'm always reminding couples of this too, you know, but yeah, and that's the calling, right? Ephesians 5, to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Speaking of Proverbs 31, have you ever substituted the woman for the church? And no. it fits absolutely perfectly. Really? A husband safely trusts her. We're the bride of Christ, espoused, and we're work with their hands and bring light and the wow. garments and everything. It just fits perfectly. It's a type of the church. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to say on, on this note that I love nothing more than to see a husband and a wife fulfilling their God-given roles. You know, the world has, has tainted every aspect of, of God's original design, and they've made that which is really 
distasteful, uh, beautiful in their sight. They flip things around. Feminism is not beautiful. A woman trying to usurp a man's authority or husband's authority in a marriage is a, a very repulsive thing in the sight of the Lord. It's like a woman smoking a cigar. It just doesn't it look does, right. <laughs> it doesn't fit, right? But, you know, it's really sad that there are women that don't realize that it's beautiful to submit to their husbands. It's, it's as much God's design for a woman to submit to her husband as it is for a woman to bear children. God designed it that way. And we've talked about this before. Submission is not this thing of, yeah, it's, it's not this thing of, of being inferior under a dictator. It's understanding God's roles. We don't argue about that in any area of life. No one says, wait, there's a boss at this company? You have to, you know, listen to what your boss says? What? Parents, children have to actually listen to their parents and, and what they, who, what parent would say, I'm more valuable than my child? Of course not. It's, it's God's design. A boss isn't more important or valuable as a human being than his employees, mm -hmm. but there has to be order. There has to be structure. There has to be authority. And, and on that note, all of us with daughters also understand the importance of helping our daughters choose a man who has a biblical understanding of leadership Amen. and masculinity because you want to lead your daughters to, to submit to a man who is submitting to the Lord, yeah, who doesn't right. see his authority as a way of self-gain or self-protection, but that his authority is the authority that Jesus had, which led him to love, lead, serve, and die for his bride. That's the kind of man that we want our wives to be submitting to, yeah. our wives, our, our daughters <laughs> to be submitting to. Yeah. Um, man, woman is made from the rib under the... Um, and close to the heart, someone once said. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Amen. Yeah. She wasn't made, I, I, I think there was someone said, she wasn't made from his head to rule over him. She wasn't made from his feet for him to trample on her. She was made from his side to hold her close and to mm. you know, mark your uh, answer. I was just going to, what are some other attributes? You know, if you're looking for a husband, some things, you know, a man after God's own heart, mm -hmm. you know, is a great one, a hard worker. You know, look at the way they, uh, the way they work. That's going to be carried over into marriage. Somebody who takes care of uh, his mama, the way he talks about his mom in private, not just in, in their presence. Yeah. You know, Mark, our dear friend, Thomas Pertel, he has a saying that I've, I've always loved and I've, I've quoted, and that is that the kind of man a woman should want to marry is a man who has a Bible in one hand and a shovel in another. Yeah. It's because he's understands he's a hard worker. And we've talked about this, that scripture says, if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an infidel. So a man who, who works hard. Now, this doesn't mean he's rich. Doesn't mean he, he has per se, a, you know, very prestigious job in the eyes of the world. But it means that in whatever he does, he is a hard worker. And he understands that the biblical call to, to work hard and to labor under the Lord. It's really like building a really good chicken coop. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, because, and that's providing, right? You're providing eggs mm -hmm. for your People family. The day. Chickens too. <laughs> and the world. We just feed them. But yeah, having that work ethic and, and then being a man, because sometimes you have that imbalance. It's a guy who's, yeah, he knows the word and all that, but he's not obeying it because he's not a hard worker. He's not a diligent man. Then you get a man who's hardworking, but he's not a, a man of God, you know? So, and then this is where the man's, 
role comes in and, and the call, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And it goes on. But that call for a man to emulate the greatest love that this world has ever known. Let me add the the idea that you want to marry a man who values the local church, who values uh, a strong leadership. Owen Strand, our friend, we talked about him earlier, he had said, hey, fathers, if our kids see us breathless and thrilled by four straight hours of sports and then disengaged and bored by a single hour of church, Hmm. what should we expect them to conclude about the worship of God. Wow. Then he goes on. He says, small children are great imitators from the moment that they begin to understand their parents. They're basically mirroring everything that they hear and see adults do. Mm-hmm. As a father, I cannot expect my son to seek God if he doesn't see me constantly seeking God. I'll be a stumbling block to my son if my walk is a bad testimony of what it is to be a true Christian. And then he quoted Vodibachum when he said, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but I fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. So what should you be looking for in a man? A man who values the church and values Christ. Because if he's going to church now and wanting to be part of local Bible studies and stuff now, he's going to do that with you and the kids as they get older when things get crazy and tight. Yeah, values God's word, values honor, respect, a man who is humble, meek, Cares about the lost. Cares about the lost. Yeah, has a heart for the for the lost. Masters um, his emotions. He's patient. He's self controlled. Yeah, yeah. Short, short. <laughs> hard to understand. Hey, you know, let, let me just say here. I know that there are people listening who have a deep pain in their heart right now as they're listening to us because they're, they've been single for a very long time, and this especially is a case for ladies. Men, of course, struggle with it too. But women that maybe are getting older and that. haven't been married and they're thinking about, you know, bearing children and and getting past that point and all that. But let me just say, sisters, don't compromise. And and this is where I've seen compromise happen in the biggest way where a woman is desperate to get married because she's not, and she'll settle. She'll settle for a guy who isn't spiritually deep or strong and even sometimes unbelievers. And I've been on the other end. it worked out for my wife. Yeah. (laughs) She settled. (laughs) But I've been on the other end of those nightmares in the counseling room where women are like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. I wish I stayed single. You know, our pastor has a quote where he says, you'd rather not have what you want than to have what you don't want. Amen. And I know it's difficult, but this is where you have to trust the Lord and, and rest in him and and in his grace and mercy. And since we're talking about men, let me just read this powerful thing. I often read this to couples when they're, they're getting married. Is it long? Very. But this has to do with the impact that love has on a woman as we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. I once knew a very old married couple who radiated a tremendous happiness, the wife especially who was almost unable to move because of old age and illness and in whose kind old face the joys and sufferings of many years had etched a hundred lines. She was filled with such a gratitude for life that I was touched to the quick. And voluntarily I asked myself, what could possibly be the source of this kindly person's radiance? In every other respect, they were common people and their room indicated only the most modest comfort. But suddenly I knew where it all came from. For I saw those two speaking to each other and their eyes hanging upon each other. All at once, it became clear to me that this woman was dearly loved. 
It was not because she was a cheerful and pleasant person that she was loved by her husband all those years. It was the other way around. Because she was so loved, she became the person I saw before me. And it's, it's amazing what a man's love will do for his wife. When he loves her as Christ loved the church, the greatest love this world has known, sacrificing, laying his life down, and then washing her with the water of the word, you know, being a spiritual leader to her. That there are men that will not read God's word with their wives, that won't read godly books with their wives. That's a tragedy. One of mine and Rachel's favorite things to do is to read through marriage books together. It stirs your hearts. It keeps you focused on what matters. So those things are huge. And I love this. This is by Spurgeon, I believe. A good wife is heaven's last best gift to a man. His angel of mercy, minister of grace is innumerable. His gem of many virtues, his box of jewels. Her voice is the sweetest music. Her smiles, his brightest day. Her kiss, the guardian of innocence. Her arms, the pale of safety, the balm of his health, the balsam of his life. Her industry is his surest wealth. Her economy, his safest stewards. Her lips, his faithful counselors. And her prayers, the ablest advocates of heaven's blessings on his head only Spurgeon could do that <laughs> only Spurgeon. I love that you're addressing those who've maybe been in, in long waiting for a spouse and I think I think it's valuable to realize like we we tend to believe this cultural narrative is the way to happiness in our lives we have a grass is greener aspect where it's like as soon as I graduate high school thing will be things will be in order as soon as I graduate college, as soon as I get married, as soon as I buy a house, and every time that thing comes, we realize that we're still longing for satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement to those who are waiting is to not expect that your spouse, future spouse is going to be the way in which the Lord is gonna satisfy you. Yeah. It's important that we are first satisfied in the Lord, period, before we can ever be satisfied in a marriage. Absolutely. Because if we expect our future spouse to satisfy us, then ultimately what we're doing is turning them into a functional savior. Yeah. And we're expecting something from them that they could never deliver, which is bringing our soul ultimate satisfaction. And this is where I typically begin with couples in marriage counseling, premarital counseling. It's, you know, reminding them that they have to have a personal intimate walk with Christ where he is their everything. Cause otherwise they're going to be dissatisfied in their spouse, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, you think of Haman and what he said when he recounted all the blessings that he had in front of his wife and friends. And then he said, but all of this avails me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai in the King's gate, not bowing before him, all that he had, but it meant nothing to him because of that one thing. Mm -hmm. And if Christ is not your ultimate all in all, you're going to, be constantly dissatisfied. If it's not this, it's going to be the other. And when they change this for you, then you're going to be disappointed with that. Yeah. You know? You're looking at your spouse, knowing that Christ is, is their only hope and comfort, and then having a shared vision for what marriage is. Marriage is not self-serving to satisfy me, but rather we are coming together so that we can both become more like our Lord and Savior. Yeah. I love this word picture that I've heard someone use before. And it's this idea that like back in the day when a king and queen got married, after the marriage ceremony, they would sit down in a chair and wait for the royal painter to come. And the royal painter would set up his easel, his paintbrushes, and he would sit down and his responsibility was to paint a picture that properly represented 
the king and the queen and the marriage that they just had in this royal picture would go up on the wall in the castle for generation to generation to look at and understand who this king and queen were. And so if you sat over the shoulder of the royal painter, you'd see him start going to work. And at first it would be a bunch of splotches and colors, and you probably wouldn't know really what he was doing. But after a bit of time, maybe you would start seeing the outline, but it would really just look like figures, like not much. But after time and energy and very close attention to the king and queen, if he's a really good painter, not only will those figures turn into kings and queens, but they will represent the very people that are sitting there. Ah, that's the king. That's the queen. And if he's especially good when he's done with that painting, you'll be able to almost feel like you can see the love between the king and the queen. That's beautiful. You should just take a photo. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. We are ultimately the painter. And God, Jesus, and and the church is the king and queen. And what we are doing is putting together our best representation, our portrait of Christ's love for the church. That is the shared vision we have to have going into our marriage. And Ray, you know, Marriage gets more beautiful over time when you do it God's way. I mean, you and Sue have been married now, you said 51 years, and you absolutely love being with her. I mean, I, you've grown closer over time. Yeah, she's my best friend. We used to work in a bank together and always sat together and had lunch, and people called us parakeets, or the, huh. under, down under name as budgies, those two yeah. kind of lovebirds. Right. And we've always been like that. And we see each other on the weekends, and people say, come on, you work together. What do you want to see each other on the weekends for? So we're never apart. She's my best friend. That's and wonderful. I can attest to that. We'll, we'll be between podcasts, and Ray will see her pass by the window and goes, oh, my wife's here. And he'll <laughs> pause everything and run out there to talk it to It really her is beautiful, minutes. and it's so honoring to the Lord. And, you know, couples need to, this is what I tell couples when I counsel them, you need to begin with the end in mind. Hmm. You need to look and say, who do we want to be in 25 years and 50 years? You work toward that. You say, this is what I want when I'm retired. This is what I want in a career. So if you want to be a doctor, well, you you begin with that end in mind, and then you go to all that schooling and your residency. You know, for retirement, you plan, you sacrifice, you set aside, and then you arrive there. And that's how it needs to be, you know. Hmm. As we close, I want to, especially for you fathers who are going to have men that come and, and want to date your daughters or, nope. you know, <laughs> um, who eventually may want to marry them. I have a list of questions that I ask young men that have it's wanted to court my daughters. 4,552. It's uh, way more than that. It is? It's um, growing by the day. But, but just, I'm just going to share a few of them, but these are things to give you guys ideas because you need to know, especially with daughters, where they're protectors, where the gatekeepers for their lives. Mm. And a lot of times men just don't, okay, great. He looks like a nice guy. No, you got to ask the hard questions. Right. So these are some that I ask. Uh, can you please share your salvation testimony? What's their background? How did they come to Christ? You know, we're... If you have a guy that goes, oh, I was, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. Okay, you get, that's the first red flag. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> you know, at least you got free coffee out of this, right? <laughs> Are you a member in good standing of a church? If so, which church? Have you ever been excommunicated from a church? If so, please elaborate. Is there anyone who keeps you spiritually accountable? If so, please elaborate. You know, and again, these are things, and I know some men go, oh, I never thought to ask that. Now, sometimes you know the guy and you've covered a lot of these, but if it's a newer guy that you don't know that well, you need to, you know, ask some of this. Who are some of your heroes of the faith? Who are some of your favorite Bible teachers? What are some of the most impactful books you've read? Can you please describe the extent of your prayer life? Can you please describe the extent of your reading and study of the Bible? What's your view on the nature of the Bible? What is your view on the doctrine of salvation? What is your view on homosexuality and same-sex marriage? Again, we think, oh, come on, this guy's in the show. You will be shocked. 
you know, at what people believe. What is your view on transgender issues? What is your view on abortion, on dating, on courtship? What is your view on the purpose of marriage? What's your view on the role of a husband? What's your view on the role of a wife? <laughs> this is a good one. What's your view on physical affection between a courting or engaged couple? Have you walked in sexual purity since your conversion? If so, please elaborate. Have you ever sexually abused anyone or have been accused of sexually abusing anyone? If so, please elaborate. Have you ever struggled with pornography? If so, please elaborate. Do you currently struggle with pornography? If so, please elaborate. This is a huge one. Hmm. Someone coming to want to marry my daughter who is currently struggling with pornography. I know guys have passed before they were Christians, even a believer who may have had struggles. But how long have you been walking in repentance? Do you have accountability on that? You know, what is your view on watching movies and TV programs that contain profanity, blasphemy, and sexually graphic content? And what is your view on listening to music that contains profanity, blasphemy, and worldly themes? Have you ever been arrested? What is your vision for your future? What is your current major in college? Where do you currently work? Have you held a, other jobs in the past? If so, please elaborate. What are your vocational goals? What are some of your greatest weaknesses? What are some of your greatest strengths? Do you agree with the following statement? Then I go through a whole list of doctrinal you know, questions. <laughs> Do you agree? And then I ask, are you willing for me to contact a close friend and one of your spiritual leaders for a character reference? Is this before oh. or after the urine sample? <laughs> <laughs> after the blood test. Okay. And looking in his trash can and stuff. But Boy, no. Is he said, that is just really cool. Oh, just, praise the Lord. I was relating everything you asked to myself as well when you're going through that list. I think it's just very thought-provoking. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's so key to understand these things. And, and I, one of my daughters, there was a gentleman that you know seemed like a great fit, but as we went through some of these, red flags came up, and I was like, okay, that's not going to work. Do you ever end up by saying, do you love my daughter? <laughs> do you love my daughter? Well, yeah, I ask him, what do you love? You know, I also ask, what is it that attracts you to my daughter? What is it that you found in her to draw you to her? Or which one of these questions did you find the most difficult to answer and why? Or did you lie to me about oh, any yeah, of these questions? Oh, yeah, I did lie to me about any of these. No, it's good. So there you have it, friends. There's so much more on all this, but we, we tried our best to give you clarity. We hope that's helped. Ray has written a wonderful book called 101 Things Husbands Do to annoy their wives. I just gave it as a gift to someone that I really love yesterday. But what I love about that book is it's humorous, but it brings a gospel into it. So that would be a great resource on this note, livingwaters.com. Make sure to give us your thoughts and any ideas for future podcasts or any comments to podcast at livingwaters.com. Remember to give us a rating, comments, and to subscribe and keep following this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Go out and find a husband or wife. <laughs> See you next time on The Living Waters podcast. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.